So please begin by finding a comfortable posture to sit as I talk. You can meditate as we go along. We've come together because of the occasion of the full moon in February, which is known as Marga Puja in the Buddhist calendar. And we commemorate an occasion when 1250 enlightened, awakened disciples of the Buddha came together um, without prior appointment in the monastery, the first monastery built after the Buddha's enlightenment called Weluwanarama, which is the bamboo grove offered by King Bimbisara. And one of the main reasons we remember this occasion is because the Buddha gave the teaching the Awada Patimokha. Uh, perhaps just to celebrate such a special auspicious occasion. Interesting because he gave a teaching which um, in a way you could say wasn't necessary because all the students, the enlightened students that came together didn't need any more teaching. They were already fully enlightened, had no more suffering in their minds. They experience, were experiencing Nibbāna. But it points to the fact that even an enlightened person can still appreciate the Dhamma, of course. So you can still recite or give a teaching to an enlightened person, especially if you, it's the Buddha, the, the original teacher, the original awakened teacher, can still give teachings to enlightened disciples. You might say in celebration of Dhamma, out of love, respect for the Dhamma. Um, we have Dhamma discussions, so enlightened beings sometimes discuss the Dhamma, and they can still appreciate the Dhamma just, just because they have no more suffering, or no, no further need to develop the practice, they can still appreciate it, the goodness of the Dhamma in all its different ways. Another important thing is that day, all those enlightened students of the Buddha came together to show respect for the Buddha. And so, it just reminds you that he, Practice of humility, gratitude, lie at the very center of um, the Buddhist path and spiritual practice as a whole. Uh, the first major fetter or defilement that the Buddha taught us to overcome is what we call Sakaya Ditti, uh, personality view or attachment to a sense of self, self-identity. And so to start our practice, we have to be humble. 
because the opposite of humility is conceit, arrogance. And we're not going to learn much if we begin our practice with an attitude of arrogance, a strong sense of self, or big, you might say big ego. Um, but it's not just at the beginning of the practice that we need to be humble. It, it's a flavor that follows right through the whole of the practice to the very end. Uh, the enlightened one has no ego, no attachment to ego. They've seen through it as a delusion. Um, so enlightened students of the Buddha can still come and receive teachings from the Buddha and pay respects to the Buddha, even though many of those teachers were to go on and have hundreds and maybe thousands of their own students and became teachers in their own right. They never forgot uh, the debt of gratitude to the Buddha. So we've come together to celebrate this day with a day of practice. I've just taken the eight precepts, we've done some chanting, and now we'll do some meditation. And this is the way to show our gratitude, respect to the Buddha by actually putting his teachings into practice. Most of us know the practice of dana and generosity already. Um, we may also understand about keeping precepts and trying to develop a virtuous conduct in our daily life but particularly the practice of meditation or bhavana is more challenging. So it's very good to come together um, like this and support each other in practicing sitting and walking meditation for a day. As I said just now, try to find a comfortable position to sit as we meditate. Important thing the Buddha emphasized is straight back. If you keep your back straight, it's harder to fall asleep. If you let your posture slip, particularly if your head droops, you'll find very easily you fall into sleepiness. So try to keep a straight back and keep your legs firmly planted on the ground. So if you're sitting on the ground, Try and keep your knees steady, your legs reasonably comfortable. There may be some pain, but hopefully only a little bit from time to time. If you're on a chair, the same. Try to keep your back straight and keep your legs still, just firmly planted on the ground. This is the, the beginning of our meditation. The Buddha encouraged us to practice the four um, foundations of mindfulness. And the first is um, directing mindfulness to the body. So whatever meditation technique you use, you begin that meditation by becoming clearly aware of your body, bringing mindfulness, clear awareness to your posture, how you're sitting, in the present moment, 
how does your body feel? Sometimes we uh, feel fine, feel pleasant, feel comfortable. Sometimes we feel uncomfortable, we're tired, we have some pain or illness. Sometimes it's too hot, too cold. But with the practice of mindfulness, we're just noting, observing, bringing attention to the body, its posture, how it feels in the present the moment, without judging it or making a big story up about it. And just noticing, observing closely how your body is as you're sitting here. And this quality of mindfulness and clear comprehension or sati sampajanya, these are kind of impersonal qualities of mind, just knowing the body as the first object of mindfulness, just knowing it as it is. So not identifying with a sense of, oh, this is my body, I like my body, I don't like my body, I have a great body, a lousy body, any kind of sense of self-identity, identification with the body, you can set that aside and just know it. The next part of the meditation on the body is bring attention to the breathing, the feeling of the in-breath and the out-breath, what we call anapanasati, the recollection or mindfulness of the breathing process. So pick a spot at maybe the tip of your nostrils where the breath goes in. Just establish your attention there at the tip of your nostrils and note the breath going in and how your lungs expand, your abdomen swells. Then there's a pause and note the out-breath. The abdomen falls, the lungs deflate, and the breath moves out at the tip of your nostril. So you don't have to follow the feeling of the breath in and out. Just keep your attention in the one spot, the tip of the nostril. And your aim is to become familiar with this sensation of breath, air going in, air going out, and just holding attention in one spot. If it helps, you can count. So as you breathe in, count one, breathe out, count one, breathe in two, Breathe out, two, and keep going until ten in-breaths and out-breaths have been counted mindfully without you losing, losing your, your count or losing awareness of the breath. But what you'll find is that after a few moments you start to think about something and forget the breath. So when you notice that, cancel your counting 
even if you reach seven or eight breaths, just go back to one and teach yourself to follow every breath in and out, count it until you can reach ten, and then do it again, <laughs> another ten. The biggest challenge is the restless, distracted states of mind that come up. And a lot of this is prompted by the second object of mindfulness, which is Vedana, or feeling. Much of the feeling we experience is linked to the body. So as you're sitting, you can become aware of pleasant feelings arising but then also notice how they prompt trains of thought as you become excited or stimulated by those pleasant feelings or just the search for pleasant feelings you know, if you're getting bored or Restless as you meditate, you might start to fantasize or imagine things, think about things, what you're going to do later, think about other things that make you feel more comfortable, more interested in your mind. So you forget the breath because your mind is seeking pleasure. Or you might have painful feelings, often pain in the legs or the back. And that will stimulate the mind again, restless, distracted, looking for other things to focus on to get away from the painful feeling. But the aim with the practice of mindfulness, whether it's mindfulness of breathing or mindfulness in any other technique, is to be mindful of the body and mindful of feeling. Meaning, just knowing it as it is, in a detached way without letting it trigger all kinds of reactions and different trains of thought and distraction. What we call mental proliferation. Mental proliferation is the mind, it likes to concoct, create moods out of experience. So pleasant feelings lead to pleasant good moods unpleasant feelings lead to bad moods or irritation, anger, fear, worry concocts the mind the mind is no longer in the present moment it's no longer mindful of just what is the body, the feeling it's now in its own little world of creation, of proliferation the Buddha even said if you reduce it down, this is like a little moment of rebirth or birth where your mind is caught into its next mood fantasy, imagination it could be something very pleasant or something very unpleasant but the mind is no longer in the present moment no longer mindful, it's lost in a train of thought this is going on all the time through our day but now we have a chance to learn about it and change 
some of what is going on in our mind by bringing up and training in mindfulness and clear comprehension. So as you practice this, you're learning to patiently, gently keep returning your attention to the in-breath and the out-breath and reducing the habit of endless mental proliferation. Every, every, <clears throat> every moment of mindfulness is like a little victory for you. Most of our life we're looking for victories, but victories over other people competing in our jobs, in our, even in our relationships, competing with the world, just trying to get on in the world, make money, live our lives. But we don't really compete with ourselves very much. As we practice meditation, we're learning to compete with our own lack of mindfulness, our own lack of wisdom. And every effort we put into bringing up mindfulness is like a, a small victory for us. So the Buddha said, this kind of victory is more satisfying, more useful to us than any other kind of victory. Better to have the victory over your own mind than over other people, even a thousand other people. So through the day, as we practice, every time we're coming here to sit, we return to the same practice of establishing awareness on the posture, then to the breath, to the body, and then the feelings. And just getting to know them as they are, without clinging to them and creating sense of self out of them. So if we practice this regularly, we might experience sometimes when the mind becomes more still, more quiet, as mindfulness is more continuous. Little moments of mindfulness join up to make a stream of mindfulness. It becomes more continuous and we feel very calm, peaceful in ourselves because the mind is not wandering off so much, it's not proliferating so much. And these states of calm are very helpful to us because they allow us to really observe closely our own experience without getting confused or caught into all kinds of different moods and thinking about what's going on. We can just watch in a more neutral way, more detached way. <coughs> and the Buddha encouraged us to look at our experience of this body and mind 
and notice the uh, Samanya Lakshana, the three universal characteristics of existence impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and uh, the lack of self in experience. When you develop more mindfulness and stillness, then your mind can look back at this body, feelings, and the mind itself, and see them, see these three characteristics in experience. And this is where wisdom arises getting to know your own body and mind as it is, rather than how you identify with it and how you think it is or how you think it should be. In Thai, the word Saman, from Samanya Lakshana, Saman means ordinary. So actually, meditation is leading you to just have insight or clarity into just the ordinary way of things. The Dhamma is just the way things are. Just getting to see that your body is something that is impermanent. It's always changing. Whatever angle you look at it, it it's always changing. Because that's what any kind of body, human or animal does. It changes with aging, with the different conditions that we experience through our day. We, heat and cold, hunger and thirst. We have rest and then we put forth energy. We're strong, we're weak, we're sick, we're healthy. Human body is always changing. It's aging. So we turn our mindfulness to contemplate that. And there's no one way to do that, but just look at your own body visualize it, direct your attention to it <coughs> and you'll become aware that it's just changing, that's its nature. What we call a self, what we identify with in this body as self, it's actually a process of, you might say almost like moving parts, changing parts, changing conditions and there's nothing you can really pin down as that's it, that's the self in this body, because it's always changing. Because it's changing, it's not satisfactory. You know, the nature of change is it brings pain, discomfort, brings problems with it. So we say it's dukkha. We'd all like to just be happy, healthy, comfortable with this body indefinitely. But you know, how long does comfort and feelings of pleasure and ease last? You wait a few hours, you feel hungry, you feel tired, you get sick, and so on. So this body is dukkha. And we can't say there's anything in this body that is really me or mine, that I can control, or that is any, anything that is lasting, that is lasting in itself, has its own essence. Because the more we investigate and observe the body, we can see mm, it's, it's a collection of different conditions. The four elements and the different body parts come together, but they're changing, and there's nothing in there you can say is a, is a self. 
And the same with feelings. If you turn your mindfulness to be mindful of feeling, you'll notice how feeling is changing all the time. One moment pleasure, another pain, another neither pleasure nor pain. This is something we have to look at, observe. It's not just a theory to believe in, it's something you have to look at as you meditate. And you become familiar with seeing feelings come and go. You'll see, when you're not mindful, you always want to cling to the pleasant feelings. We want nice food to give us pleasure, we want to go to places that interest us and stimulate us, watch things, do things that stimulate us, excite us, give us pleasure. Normally we don't see that clinging to pleasure, but now when we meditate, you just sit still and watch without reacting to pleasant feelings or unpleasant feelings. You're learning just to watch them and see them as they are. Your feelings are just feelings. So just giving you a few ideas on how to contemplate when you have more calm arise in your meditation. Just turning to become familiar with these three characteristics. Say universal characteristics, meaning they apply to everything inside us, other people, and the world around us. Why would the Buddha encourage us to focus on the three universal characteristics of existence? Because it brings us wisdom, understanding. We get to know, oh, that's just the way it is. As we get older, or other people we love and know are getting older, we know this is just the way it is. It's ordinary. It's ordinary for me to get older, it's ordinary for you to get older. When we fall sick, we know it's ordinary for us to fall sick, for others to fall sick. And one day we've got to die. This is ordinary, because this is the universal characteristics of life and people. <coughs> we also come to see how ourselves, others, just the same. So that normal way of thinking, you know, who's better than, worse than, who's right, who's wrong, who's richer, who's poorer, who's higher, who's lower. You're the normal way of the human mind constantly differentiating between people. That's all coming from attachment to self-view. It's all coming from not seeing Anicca Dukkha Anatta. When you see Anicca Dukkha Anatta in your experience, then it naturally gives rise to compassion, kindness, 
understanding of others, because you know everyone is the same. They say samanya lakshana, you know, the ordinary characteristics of everybody's life, just the same for everybody. So whether you are male, female, you feel you're very rich, very poor, you're very high, superior, you're very low, inferior, whatever way you class yourself or differentiate yourself or others, you're the same as everyone on this level. So rather than sticking with these superficial judgments, your mind develops more compassion. Because you know everyone around you has the same challenge, <coughs> the same difficulty. They have to face aging, sickness, death, and different difficulties and problems in their lives, just the same as you do. So then we, we develop more compassion, more understanding for each other as we see these three characteristics from our meditation. So I've given you a small introduction now to the practice of meditation. We can just carry on sitting for a little while longer. <coughs> 